Hi, and welcome to BOSS, a research podcast by CBS Sustainability. My name is Sarah. I'm Center Manager at Copenhagen Business School, and I'm the host of this podcast. The name BOSS stands for the Business of Society, which is kind of a guiding principle for the work that we do. As the name suggests, we're interested in how business and society interrelate and what business responsibilities are towards society. In this podcast, we will share, discuss and reflect on CSR and sustainability-related issues through conversations with researchers and practitioners. Featuring our colleagues, we aim to inspire you to reflect and take part in the discussion on how to transition towards more sustainable practices for organizations and government, and for you and me. Meet Regge Ronhold Elbertsen, PhD at CBS Sustainability. Hey, Regge. Hello. Regge, you've been with the center for quite some time. But before we dive into the nitty-gritty of, of your PhD, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey to the PhD? Wow. Well, my my journey has been very, very long and windy. I'm uh, I'm probably not your your classical PhD student. I um I I finished my first bachelor degree in well, I have to do some thinking. 1998. Uh, I was studying in in the states. I was studying international politics and international affairs, and then I moved to Australia where I did a master in international law and I always thought that I was gonna you know work for the UN and or Danida or something some some save the world kind of job and then I uh, I got roped into management consulting I don't even know how they convinced me I think I think my boss said something like how about you make a lot of money then send them to Africa right <laughs> and so And so I ended up doing seven years of management consulting and, and I really enjoyed it because that taught me so much about the sort of the real world of, of business. I, you know, if you study you know, political science or, or international law, you don't really learn anything about how, you know, private sector organizations actually work and, and how they're managed and, and the issues that they're facing. So it was almost like taking an a very special, very long MBA where I really got that insight. But then after a while, I, I did get sort of, I did really want to work more with, with um, in the sort of development area. And I did a stint doing um, a lot of development communication. And I was very involved in the, the launch and the development of the sustainable development goals and how, especially how we uh, communicated them in Denmark and, And then after that, for, for a while, I did, a, I did a project with a friend where we were organizing these football tournaments around the world for women, where each team had to choose one of the sustainable development goals to play for. And it was so much fun. It was all about getting women to sort of own their voice and, and, and you know, have the courage to become activists and also to use sport as a platform for, for communicating And, and in that context, you know, I'm getting to how I got to my PhD, but after having done that for a while, we had a lot of corporate partners. And I realized that 
all the people I was talking with in, in these big companies that kind of was responsible for their, their sustainability agenda, they didn't really know how to do this new holistic sustainability approach. I mean, the, the sustainable development goals is like bringing together the environmental, the social, and, and also the government governance sort of issues of sustainability. And it's a much more holistic agenda. And most people I met were, you know, academically, they've been trained either to, you know, to deal with like human rights issues, or they were sort of ecologists or biologists, and they knew something about the environment. And very few people kind of knew Okay, so how do we? How does this all interrelate? You know, how do we actually create a a policy or or an approach that actually acknowledges this complexity and and this you know this holistic approach? So I was like, I got to figure out what what do we actually know? So uh, so I ended up doing a master's in uh, it's called um, leadership for sustainability, and it was in Malmo University, and it's about you know, organization, organizational development and leadership, but in a sustainability context. And I absolutely loved it. And I loved being back at school. And it was only a one-year master. When it was over, I was like, I am so not done, um, you know, exploring this. And and one of the things that I had become more and more sort of frustrated about as I, as I read a lot of this uh, corporate sustainability research was like, it seems that companies are getting very good at uh, formulating these sustainability strategies, but less so in actually, you know, bringing them to life. And and I remember when we launched the Sustainable Development Goals, we were so excited about the participation of the private sector. And I really had all these high hopes for the private sector as, you know, as a real partner and real contributor to sustainable development, but I realized that there's so little research that actually looks at, okay, so how much sustainability is, you know, private sector actually contributing? Are they mostly talking about this and setting goals and launching ideas and launching plans or, but, but are they actually helping us solve these issues and to what extent are they doing that? So, I wrote a proposal um, to write a PhD here at CBS that was kind of looking, it was called the, it was called very ambitious, closing the sustainability implementation gap. So basically, how do we bring the actual outcomes uh, of corporate sustainability closer to the, you know, to the ambitions and the, you know, and, and the commitments that, that we make? That was a long one. <laughs> That was fantastic because my next question was exactly going into this direction to, to ask you, when looking at your CBS profile, you state that you're interested to understand kind of the mismatch between the espoused um, sustainability goals that are promoted by these, uh, by these corporate actors and then what is actually happening in practice. And I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense to do this, but how do you actually go about this then in your research? Yeah, so so my approach, I'm um, one of the one of the theories that I kind of fell in love with when I did my master is paradox theory, and and what that kind of that theory kind of explores is that when there are tensions between um, sort of conflicting goals and objectives in an organization, you know that it creates a very sort of um, how can I say it? we don't we don't really like to be confronted with our logic being 
contradictory or you know self self contradictory so we say you know we want we want social justice and we want you know climate action and sometimes social justice and climate action doesn't actually align sometimes you know we actually hit the poorest people with our climate initiatives and to once we have to sort of acknowledge these conflicting um, sort of elements it's it's very difficult for us because we've been taught that if we're just smart enough we can come up with these like either or solutions we can make you know the perfect trade-off if we just have like enough information we will know how to make these choices how to prioritize we like these this kind of linear logic where everything can be kind of ranked and prioritized and and sustainability confronts us with a lot of issues that aren't that simple it's always systemic. There are always unintended, um, you know, consequences. And sometimes we have to do things that are conflicting, but we still have to do both. So it's a it's a new way of thinking. It's like a you have to have this kind of both and mindset. You can't really do either or when you're thinking about sustainability. So you can't say, oh, do you want you know you want profit or you want sustainability? And if you're going to survive as a as a company, you're also going to need the profit. And sometimes you need the profit to develop your, your sustainability initiatives. But so it's not either or, it's both. And, um, and that's kind of my, what I'm looking at is how fit are current organizations to, to actually operate in this way? How fit are they to, to deal with these kinds of complex and, and paradoxical issues? Because my sort of hypothesis we don't we don't do hypotheses in in uh, you know qualitative research but my hunch is that a lot of times what happens is you make a strategy a sustainability strategy that might actually be contradictory in itself and then you kind of leave it up to the organization to deal with that contradiction and it is not really equipped to do that and then what happens is that things just kind of run out into the sand or, or, or initiatives are just kind of tabled or, or they're suppressed. There, there might be some good ideas, but then you realize that it might conflict with the, um, with the commercial strategy and you end up kind of doing nothing because there's this sense that sometimes when we get confronted with paradoxes, if we're not in a position to really sort of make these these just judgment calls and be quite creative in how we deal with them, then we get paralyzed and we and we kind of end up just kind of throwing up our arms and, and, and doing nothing. And I think that's really a lot of this uh, implementation gap. It isn't really ill will from the companies. I mean, I think there's a lot less conscious greenwashing going on than we that we sometimes like to think. I think it's just that organizations aren't really fit to deal with with so many conflicting uh, agendas, we're used to being able to measure everything in terms of some quite clear KPIs. You know, are we making more money? Are we retaining our employees longer? You know, are we, you know, are we uh, gaining more market shares? And and that's it's very simple. You can kind of tick the box, and then all of a sudden you're confronted with these super complex sustainability issues. It's like so. Who are our stakeholders? What about the stakeholders who haven't been born yet? What about the stakeholders who don't have a voice? Um, how do we even determine what's material for us as an organization to deal with? And 
how do we determine um, what will become an issue in the future if we don't act now? And I mean, there's just, it, it requires really a whole new type of leadership and a, and a way of equipping the organization to be much more much more creative and, and flexible, but also much more willing to acknowledge um, the tensions and actually have that difficult contradiction or have that difficult um, conversation about this isn't, this, this doesn't add up. Like this isn't easy. We're going to, somebody is going to be not happy about this decision. Like not everybody's going to agree and we need to figure out how to actually address conflicting issues at the same time. And most people, and, and the thing is, when I did my master's, I studied project managers. They freaking hate complexity. They're like, do not, don't add this on top of my project. It's hard enough. I'm going to stay within price, quality, and time period that I've, you know, been told. And now you're telling me I also need to deal with you know, how this is affecting future generations or, you know, some women in Africa that I don't even know and don't even start. Like, they don't, they, they, they don't want that. So, so sometimes it happens that just kind of, you make the nice strategy and then just nothing happens. When doing your qualitative research, has, has there been a moment or, or a situation that, that really surprised you or puzzled you? I think I think one of the things that um, well, I kind of had this kind of aha experience. I was I was um, observing a a meeting of you know of the top managers and between the top managers in in my case company and the consultants that have been sort of um, designing their sustainability strategy, and and it was just I was listening to this conversation and I realized, oh. They think this is optional. Like it's like the managers are kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have a look at the sustainability, but we really need to sort of, uh, just gotta figure out, you know, how much is it gonna cost us, and and what implications is it gonna have for, you know, our growth targets and our bottom line, and and I realized that, so how to what extent this idea that being sustainable as a company is still they still see this as optional. This is like, yeah, we will kind of make it fit with the goals that we already have, fit with business as usual. And then we'll, we'll kind of, we understand that this is good for our ESG rating and, and probably at some point we're going to have to deal with it. But, but definitely, I, I think it was kind of an aha realization of how, how far we are from really understanding the, the urgency and the need for you know, for business to be sustainable and and how it's not, still not, unless you look at some of the real, like, kind of front runners or some of the organizations that were born sustainable, for most companies, this is, like, nice to have. This is, like, a, a potential add-on that might strengthen their market position, but they're not really understanding the the seriousness and the urgency that they actually have to change. And, and it might not be as profitable as they used to, but they have been used to somebody else picking up the bill for the damage they were doing to the planet. And, and I think there's a, there's a long way to go <laughs> before like businesses truly understand, you know, the implications of, of being, of actually being sustainable. 
a somewhat related, somewhat different topic in, in regards to uh, to you is while you're studying these paradoxes, you've also highlighted or, or fleshed out your own CV, your own development and journey to the PhD. And um, obviously, I mean, looking looking at a piece of paper, it's not the clear red thread where you've been. And um, you have touched upon this, that you've also organized these football camps and you have also a professional career as an athlete as part of your baggage. So so looking at these different elements of, of, of your background, how much do you actually draw on these experience in your work as a PhD? Well, I well I draw on it a lot and, and also quite um literally I at the same time as I'm writing my PhD, I am also running the the sort of sustainable transformation of the Danish Confederation of Sport. So I'm on the board of the of the Confederation and part of the Olympic Committee. And obviously the whole world of sport is is also facing this uh, requirement to to kind of become sustainable. And so I am drawing like directly these these parallels, understanding where the world of business is a little bit ahead of sport. Sport is even more like, oh yeah, we'll have a look at that, you know, eventually. But but also because I'm dealing with organizations, sports organizations who already have a purpose. They have a social purpose. They they you know they bring sport to people, right? So that's their and they've always been you know cherished for that. And and um and they have this sense that I mean we're sport, we're awesome, everybody loves us. And I'm like, yeah. But now you have a choice to be part of the solution to this problem that society is facing, or you can at best become irrelevant, and at worst, you can become part of the problem if you don't actually understand your role in also communicating the importance of, of this sustainable transformation. And, and so, but what's interesting is because I have this kind of theoretical approach to it, because this is what I do every day, I can bring in some perspectives that is completely new to the world of sport and really gives me a unique position to, you know, to influence how they're developing. So, for example, the Danish um, Football Federation is now developing their new sustainability strategy, and and I actually get to help them formulate, you know, how are they going to, how are they actually going to do that? But also the other way around, I have used my sports experience in my in my PhD work. So for example, when I worked with Paradoxes, I realized that the work we have done in the Danish Confederation of Sport on, on integrating transgender women in competitive sports is like, that is a, a true paradox. It's like, well, sport is super inclusive, yes, but we have these competition categories that are very exclusive but the reason we have the categories is so that we can better include more types of talent so we have age categories and weight categories and we have the women's category because otherwise the people competing in these categories would never win anything right they would get beaten by by grown men so this whole idea that we have the exclusive categories in order to be inclusive and then how that impacts transgender women who want to be included in the women's category but we're like no wait how like how can we maintain the integrity of the women's category without you know actually being exclusive all of a sudden to a new group of athletes who who think they belong in that category we're like wait 
And so this is this is what this is an example of the kind of headache you get when you have to deal with a real paradox. And it's not an option. It's not like I'm you can't just kind of go hardline, it's either or. There isn't one solution that's gonna work everywhere. So we had to sort of um, separate, create this separation between so for example, we have one policy for children's sports and for recreational sports and we have specific policies for very like specific competitive sports but not all competitive sports and it's total mess but it's it's just just for me it was such a real life example of how does paradox theory actually help create better solutions than just you know falling into this trap of we just need to you know create this linear Either or, either or situation because it, it just it just doesn't work when we're dealing with like wicked problems and grand challenges. It's it's just not they're not viable solutions. It's not like I said, you know, it's not either social justice or climate action. It, 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 we just have to figure out how to work it, and it takes a lot more work, and it requires so much more of the decision makers to keep this open mind and to listen to more more voices, more stakeholders, to understand the the complexity of the area that they're trying to make decisions in. And so yeah, so this is how I, I and I think it, it's interesting because I was at a symposium with Wendy Smith is like this kind of key paradox researcher and she had this great perspective of how we need more leaders that are a hybrid people, like that bridge several sort of institutional logics, like that kind of can legitimacy, uh, legitimately engage with different kind of groups of stakeholders and that by through their, their own experience actually better understand these complexities. And I think that that's why, for example, when I speak about sustainability in the world of sport I can do that because I'm an athlete you know I came from this so I also understand sport but I also understand sustainability and so I'm uniquely positioned to actually have you know have a voice in this and I think the same thing as a PhD because I actually have worked with companies I have that practical experience of coming from the from the practitioner side and also sometimes I have to kind of remind myself when I get into this like trap of thinking you know get published or die trying like the only thing that matters is to be like and have an AMDJ um, article or something like that and then I remind myself like nobody and I, I, I can truly say like nobody I've ever met in the business world so the world we're actually trying to impact ever reads these articles like they don't i mean at best they will reach an hbr article which we kind of consider well that's not really you know academic literature but that's their idea of academic literature right so we're speaking to ourselves about this but if we want to to speak sort of to the outside world we also need to kind of rethink or reframe the how like the how we actually bring that message and how we actually make sure that it that we get our points across. But it's also it, it's really healthy, like when you kind of when when you kind of start panicking about, you know, how how you're gonna get published and what kind of what rated uh, journal and you know how many 
revise and resubmits you have to do. And you just have to remember that we're doing this for ourselves in this tiny little part of the world. So, and it kind of reminds me of sports, right? When I tried to qualify for the Olympics, I would think that that was like the most important thing in the whole world. And then I'd meet somebody that was like, oh, are the Olympics coming up? So where is it this time? And I'm like, what, what? That is like only like, that is like the only thing that's happening this year. And I'm like, oh no, that's right. It's not. So I think it, it helps me have like this kind of healthy perspective. We don't get sucked down the rabbit hole and forget that the world is actually happening around us. On that note, if you should give advice to an aspiring PhD, what would your number one advice be? Well, my number one advice would be make sure your PhD is about something that you find hugely interesting because you're going to spend so much time geeking out about it, reading about it, talking to other people about it, um, you know, finding data, researching it. So it has to be something that, that you literally would want to read about, like on your weekend, like something that you're, you're passionate about. Because otherwise, I think it's going to be three really, really long years. But then also, I think the second thing would be find, yeah, find your, find your, your like your, um, what is it that they call it? At the, find your tribe. I think that's what, uh, I think that's what Wendy Smith says. Is like find find your people that you want to hang with that that you like. Um, like I, I was advised when I when I did my proposal, I was kind of both looking at um, sort of these theories about um, bureaucracy, formal, informal practices and means of organizing. And then I was also looking at a paradox theory. And, and my supervisor, Andreas Rassel, he was like, you know, if I were you, I would go hang out with the paradox people because they're nicer. <laughs> It's like, they're really cool. It's a vibrant community, and, and it was the best advice because then I joined this this reading group. This was during the during COVID, so I wasn't even at you know I wasn't even at the school, but I joined this online international reading group with so people from all over the world who was using the paradox approach in their PhDs, and we just we just all like clicked and we had these amazing conversations. And we just recently, you know, we all met up in Copenhagen, and I had them to my house for dinner, and we we're just hanging out and. It was funny because there was somebody, somebody brought their friend, like we were at this dinner and we're all like talking and she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like nothing. It's like, you're talking a different language. We're talking about like knotted paradoxes and, you know, different kinds of paradoxes and different levels of research. And she's like, I don't understand the word you're saying, but that's also, I mean, the joy of finding somebody who is willing to geek out like at the same level as you are and, and actually find it interesting. But also because the rest of your, like your family and your peers will be, they get this kind of glazed over like look in their eyes when you start talking about your research. It's like you lose them so fast. So you have to find some people that, that also are willing to go down the rabbit hole with you, you know, but then you also of course have to maintain your, um, your connection to the real world and make sure you take time to, you know, to be with the people you love and do stuff you also like, like outside. I think that's important. I think that's really, really great advice and spoken also like a true academic, you know, when asked for one advice, yeah, I'll give you, three. you start out with one and then you end up with your list of three, four, five anyways. But thank you so much. Obviously.
Thank you so much. I think this is really, really great advice and um, very valuable for, for aspiring PhDs. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm looking very much forward to, to hearing more about the, the developments both within sports, but also within your PhD. Um, thank you so much, Rege. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of BOSS. Are you interested in learning more about our work? Then check out our website or follow our BOSS blog. The music featured in this podcast is by Crowender.